Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We are sitting in a Fare Nui, in a Marae, at Muriwai in Gisborne, New Zealand. And I'm sitting with Robin Rauna. She is of the indigenous Maori tribes of Aotearoa, which some call New Zealand. Robin is a proud indigenous woman of Naita Manuhere, Rongo Fakata, and Te Ai Tanga a Mahaki. We are sitting in her Farenui. This is her tribe's ancestral meeting place. Inside, the walls are representing all of her ancestors with traditional paintings, kofaifai, weavings, ra ranga, and carving, fakairu. It is beyond an honor to be invited to come in here into her ancestral meeting place and to sit with her on the trail less traveled. Thank you, Robin, for inviting me into your Barenui. Thank you. You're welcome. Robin, my first question for you is where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? I am 46 years old, but here at Muriwai, for a time I went between living with my mother, who lived just down the road from the Marae, and my grandparents. I was really, really lucky. I remember as a child doing lots of fun things. Yeah, adventure in the way of going to collect pippies and cockles with my grandmother. Regularly, every Sunday, we would traipse down on their little tractor, sit at the back of my grandfather, and we were always at the beach. So my earliest memories are really fond memories of always fishing, of floating on my back in the sea just down the road from where this is. So it was awesome, eeling with my grandfather in the river at night with a little torch, trying not to stab myself in the toe. <laughs> yeah, so those are my little adventures. Robin, before we started recording, we are walking around your Farenui, which is your tribe's ancestral meeting place. And there are paintings, carvings, and weavings. And some of the paintings you were telling me were describing how your ancestors, your people, came from the sea. So if you could take us back and tell me about your ancestors and how you guys came from the sea. I, uh, we've got a motia tia or a chant. Aharamai a pawa irunga tuna waka ia Horaitaka pakaru ki tu aranui O kana waka haramai ki uta Kitera pahomi kitera papunaki Kakite ate homi kakite ate punaki E kae kama kama kami atona mimi Rere ana motu rere ana waipawa Koko putu te ate putanga ki waho ki a unu mai Tona kuri e pa ki a maira E ngangaru o te moana e takoto nei Ka huri, ka huri te haere a paua ki te taira fiti What I've just recounted is a chant from here which we always sing 
on our marae, which is the story of how Pawa, our tipuna, one of our ancestors, travelled from Hawaii on a waka or a canoe called Harauta. And he came here and his uh, waka or canoe is just beached within our tribal rohe area. That's Harauta. And so I've just sung our ancestor Pawa travelled here bringing with him our original ancestors and they came from Hawaii and they brought with them the means to live and survive and fortunately through the millennium have continued to today. That's the ultimate as Māori. If we were lost people we would have no descendants. So to have uri or progeny is the ultimate for tribes. So that's our story of Pawa. And I was showing you earlier, he's holding a fish. Now he's depicted on the wall of our whare nui holding a fish. And so we credit to him the honour in our whare nui of recognising him as the man that came across on our waka and brought us here across the oceans. And he represents the ultimate adventurer the ultimate navigator, the ultimate seafarer. He came here and because of him, we are still here to this day and we're fortunate as a tribe of Ngai Tamanuhiri to have that waka still with us today. So that's the story of our people. We with pride refer to ourselves as a fishing tribe. And I've been fortunate together with all of us that live here at Muriwai who've had the privilege of living here being with our old people and having our old people guide us and tell us our own history to be you know and be inspired by these stories of resilience and fortitude and to be reminded that our purpose is to raise our children in the cultural values that they grew up with and so that we make sure we look after Papa Tuanuku, the Earth Mother and we fully responsible for the care of our natural environment, which includes our lands and includes our seas and waters. I'd like to learn more about some of the ancestors, and you just mentioned Papatuanuku, the Earth Mother. Can you tell us a little bit more about her? Papatuanuku is the Earth Mother, and Ranginui is the Sky Father. And so it's a Māori story of cosmology, the story of how the world came to be as we know it where Ranginui and Papa Tuanuku had these children, and one in particular, Tane Nui Arangi. He wanted more than just lying between his parents, and he wanted to experience the world. So he decided he would split his parents, and he lifted his father with his feet and called upon his brothers to help him split them so that there was more to life than just living in the dark. Albeit the love and the bosom of parents, but to have experiences beyond that. And so Tane Nui Arangi split his parents, and then he is the god of forests. And his brother Tafiri Matia is the god of the wind and all the elements in the sky that his father oversees. And Tangaroa is the god of ocean, and Moana Nui Akiwa which is what we refer to the Pacific as Moana Nui Akiwa. 
the ancestor Pakia I'd like to talk to you about, who came on a whale. Because for those listening, might not know where Gisborne, New Zealand is, and we're located on the North Island, on the northeastern coast, and the film Whale Rider was made here. And so let's talk about Pakia, who came on a whale. Paikia is not of my tribe, but he's of a tribe known to me. So Paikia, which is the Ngāti Konohi people, that's their tipuna, Paikia. He is seen at the Marae at Whangara. He had differences of opinion with his brothers at sea while they were fishing. He felt that he wasn't treated right, and so he caused the boat to capsize. And then he called upon the help of a whale. Some say that the person that upturned the waka, or the canoe, is Paikia. And then some say, well, Paikia is the whale. I kind of agree they're one and the same because they merged. There was a meeting of minds where without the whale and without the man, they wouldn't have got to land because they eventually found themselves where Whangara is right now. So that's an example of the relationship that Māori have with the sea. A lot of us are sea people, need to recognise that there are other Māori tribes. Their relationships are with the birds of the sky, with rainbows and with native bush. So depending on the geography and the environment in which we grow up in and our territory, our relationship with the natural environment changes somewhat. But here on the east coast of New Zealand, the sea is us. The sea is me and I am the sea. There's lots of analogies with water being a calming influence and water having healing qualities to heal and to make things calm and for us to also get what we call tow or okay with where things are at. At times, lots of difficulty because with our history, particularly here, we've had history fraught with our conflict, landlessness, and it relates to earlier colonisation. Whilst today I might look, I love my clothes, don't get me wrong, I love fashion, and I love the good things that I've come to enjoy, but I also know that that hasn't always been the case with our people. We've got a history, we had war declared upon us, We had colonial troops move in on us and kill our people. And then when land wasn't easily accessible, deported to the Chatham Islands, which is a really rough, cold, extremely cold place, sent there. And whilst that was happening, over a million acres of land confiscated. Fortunately, when our people returned, they discovered, you know, there was no land. They were sent in the back of beyond and in prison without trial. All these different things happened. We had more acts of conquest declared upon us. Probably the thing that I still think is something that we're still overcoming and have to really think hard about is 200 men, women and children executed, shot in the back of their heads, had every vestige of clothing removed from them and shot on a hill at Ngātapa, killed like dogs. It's a history that we ourselves have really fought hard to have recognised. These are historical events that we also need to acknowledge a beacon of hope because we as the current generations, we are the descendants of greatness, of people who managed to survive all of these extreme things, but have come through it all and still have hope 
and love for each other, for our tribe and our families, and want to make sure that we are assured that we have done our utmost to inspire and to empower and to enable our kids to have a future of promise and hope. Probably because I know a lot of our history and have been a part of our treaty claim process with the Crown. I've always thought I hold as a responsibility, particularly because of being the chief executive for my tribe, is that whilst we can't allow grievance to define us, that's not what we want to ultimately be known as. I want us to be known as a people that acknowledges and honours that, but moves beyond that to then use that as a way for our own to have pride and absolute passion for living and for seeking out their ultimate what they want in life and living. You are on the trail less traveled, recorded on location in Robin Rauna's tribe's ancestral meeting place. We are sitting in the Fare Nui. Robin is of the indigenous Maori tribes of Aotearoa. Some call it New Zealand. Robin is a proud indigenous woman of the Naita Manuheri, Ronga Fakata, and Te Aitanga a Mahaki. We are sitting in her Fare Nui at the Moriwai, outside of Gisborne, New Zealand. Again, this is her tribe's ancestral meeting place. Inside, the walls are representing all of her ancestors with traditional paintings called Kofaifai, weavings, Ra Ranga, and carvings. Fakairu. Robin, it's time to play a song. So can you share with us a song that reminds you of your early childhood? So I sang Haramaya Pawa, which is what we sing after we have speakers who welcome visitors. I did Haramaya Pawa. So I sing just a song about our people, which is a Māori song, Anei Mātou. Anei Mātou na mokopuna atamanuhiri no te muri wai, no na pari e mamaira. No reira, te narakoto e te iwi fanui e. Kia kotahira, tatau kato kia kahara. Oh, that song was composed by my uncle. So that song talks about we are the people of Ngaita Manuhiri. What I was talking about earlier about making sure we are strong as a people is referred to in the song. And we also, as a tribe, or here particularly for Ngaita Manuhiri, we pride ourselves on looking after our visitors. So what that means for us is you might watch what is it master chef cooking shows you got nothing on here here you got to be master class chef styles in our kitchen we pride ourselves on being able to give um, sweet kai sweet food food cook with love by our own hands and that's something that I always think about when I sing that song because my nanny or my grandmother was always teaching us together with her sisters growing up learning what were the things done right when you look after visitors you tie your hair back when you're dealing with food you make sure that the kai is or food is always hot when you go to give a meal to visitors and you must make 
sure that their plate is always full and you have to always look after them. And so when they go, they go with a full belly because you don't want people to leave Murray White and they say, well, they were scungy. <laughs> they were scungy people. I'm still hungry and that's not good. Yeah. You're on the trail less traveled, and the show is harvested for you today in Robin Rauna's tribe's ancestral meeting place. We will return after this short break. Hey there, Mandela here. I just wanted to take a short break from the show and tell you about the skirt that I'm currently living in while traveling around New Zealand. It was handmade in Missoula, Montana, from a blend of organic hemp and cotton by my friend Karen of Karuna Clothing. Karen creates small batch, unique product lines, which are simply beautiful. It truly is made with love, and it's the first thing I tossed into my duffel bag when packing for New Zealand. Visit karunaclothing.com to discover clothing which inspires you. That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com Back to Mandela and the Trail Less Traveled an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment storytelling We are sitting in uh, Farinui which is a tribe's ancestral meeting place and I'm sitting with Robin Rauna she is of the indigenous Maori tribes of Aotearoa, some call it New Zealand. Robin is a proud indigenous woman of the Naitamanuheri, Rongo Fakata, and Te Aitanga a Mahaki. We are sitting in her Farenui, part of the Marae, at Muruai, outside of Gisborne, New Zealand. This is her tribe's ancestral meeting place. And inside where we're sitting, the walls are representing all of her ancestors, including the ceilings. And it's covered with traditional paintings called kofaifai, weavings called rauranga, and carvings, fakairu. It's absolutely an honor to be sitting here in the Farenui with Robin. Robin, as we sit here, could you describe to your listeners what you see? Our Farenui is called Te Poho Tamanuhiri. It's the place where we all come in and we sleep together. So we have a whole lot of mattresses and we sleep communally. So that's probably the main thing is for people to understand. We don't see ourselves as individuals. We are totally communal and collective. We don't see ourselves in isolation as individuals. We all owe responsibilities to the collective. And that's no more true than with our whareinui because the whareinui is a physical manifestation of the ancestor of Tamanuhiri, the person. This whareinui, the central ridge, is a representation of a person's spine and the things that lead off it out the front there's a main head and so that is a carving of our ancestor from whom we take our tribal name Tamanuhiri and the Farenui inside the walls there are paintings of key ancestors descendants of Tamanuhiri Tamanuhiri married actually he had an adulterous relationship. He was first with a Romayafia, a woman, but he found her quite difficult. She wasn't a woman that liked to work. 
she didn't like to garden and things like that and they didn't at that time have children and then he happened to grow a liking to a woman he knew who he often observed she was generous she was loving she was great in the garden and then he decided that he wanted to get to know her a lot better and then he took up as his wife he knew and then they had children and so we have a saying in our dining room which is an analogy with the power or abalone so on one side is the white you know the white of our abalone there is nothing and on the other side which is the pure there is everything there is fertility so with Henenui this particular saying here is a saying that records with Henenui there was absolute fertility and there was a line of descent from which we come from. And he did have children with Rongomayafia but possibly not as many as he had with Henenui. So this Nui is the physical manifestation of them and their children and grandchildren. We have recently done a restoration of our marae. We've deliberately kept the smoky black. Most other marae when they do restorations they paint shiny white paint they do that to preserve but what we decided to do is because this whare was so well used we used to have open fires in here the fires used to blacken the paintings so we decided we wanted to be reminded of the constant use and well used way of our whare so we just kept to just cleaning up things preserving but not necessarily taking away the well oiled use of it so in our whare nui are photos of our ancestors people who have done wonderful things for our marae these are all to serve as a reminder to us of the lives that they led and the dreams and aspirations they had for us to look after our relatives, look after our kin and to preserve the way of life that they knew for ourselves. Maintaining relevance of those things is an ongoing challenge I think in a modern day and saying that though I think with the advent of social media and the like and being able to at a drop of a hat upload videos I think there's wonderful opportunities to fully utilise technology in ways that can have reach and create relevance for a lot of our younger generations who have grown up knowing computers and social media to really be fully engaged with our past. For me personally, I think our way of life when there's just a lot of pollution and consumerism I think we are always reminded when we look at the past that our people had next to nothing but they were very very resilient they lived off the land and so they did things which people will look at and think when Europeans arrived in New Zealand they looked on us as being really from the boondocks and so primitive but a lot of our practices as a people there was a rhyme and reason to what they were doing which is all about preservation of the natural environment and better use of resources so a lot of our things we did you know they could talk about conservation and stuff we live and breathe that we try to make sure that there's always some 
for the next generation. That's the ultimate, I think, that we can take from our tipuna or our ancestors is making sure that we look after what we have so there is some for the future. You are on the trail less traveled, and today the trail leads into a Farinui, which is a tribe's ancestral meeting place, and we're sitting with Robin Rauna. She is of the indigenous Maori tribes of Awatearoa. She is a proud indigenous woman of Naita Manoheri, Rongofakata, and Te Aitanga Mahaki. We are sitting in her Farinui, which is her tribe's ancestors' meeting place. And as she was saying earlier, this place has been used many times. The walls are darkened from the smoke and ash of many fires that burnt in the space. And the walls have oil on them from being touched and loved. But then when we look outside, it's summer in New Zealand. We were driving past beautiful blossoming agapanthas, purple and white. We've got violets and just a plethora of flora, fauna, and countryside. Nearby, the marae is a sacred place, the cliffs. And in Maori, that place is called Te Kuria Pawa. Westerners came and named it Nyung Nick's Head. And there's a story behind that about the ship Endeavor coming in and a 12-year-old boy on the ship seeing those cliffs. It took them two days to get to shore. Then Lieutenant James Cook gave it a Western name, Young Nick's Head, after this boy who saw it from land. But the traditional Maori name is Tukuria Pawa. Can you tell us about this sacred place? Tukuria Pawa, and it relates to the chant I sang, was a chant about Pawa who was the navigator of the Harautawaka. So when he arrived, he got here and the prowl of his waka was damaged. And so he had to get off here at Miriwai and he went looking for wood. And he had with him a dog. And this dog went roaming. It actually formed the cliffs. But he became fossilised or petrified. Then we refer to the cliffs as the petrified form of Tikuri Apawa, the dog of power. That's the song of Tikuri Apawa and the cliffs. And uh, in the past, I used to have an old nanny, Mari, who used to talk about the white cliffs of Dover in England. And I said, White cliffs of Dover of England. Hika, we got better cliffs over here. We got Tikuri Apawa. And she used to go reminiscing and saying, Oh no, I went over to the white cliffs of Dover. They're bigger than Tikuri Tikuri Rob. And I used to say, Oh no, you can't beat it. We got the best cliffs of all. But it's a beautiful place. And you're right. So our facilities here at our marae consists of a whareinui, which is where we sleep, across the road. And we must be one of the few marae that has a road right in the middle of our marae complex. Across the road is our dining room and we all congregate in there and we eat together. We cook together and we eat together. And then beside our whareinui is also our war memorial hall, which is a hall which was built in memory of the First World War soldiers that left from here in Muriwai and went across the seas to fight in the First World War. But also in World War II, we had a large contingent. And in fact, it's something that's unique to our particular areas. We had such a huge number of men go across and that was striving for citizenship. Our men took up active service in wars, not necessarily of our making, 
but to serve the government and to be seen taking up our roles as citizens. So it was an attempt to be seen as equal citizens, not second set citizens, but equal citizens who had the interests of the country at heart. So that's our memorial hall. And around our marae is our village, and a lot of our village is built on traditional Māori land. And just down the road is our beach from where we're always there. And so it's summer, it's a sun-drenched, hot, blue sky day. And no doubt the beach will be packed with everybody, I understand. And they'll be down there fishing, either handline fishing or with nets catching flounder. Or they'll be down there gathering kina. I think they call them sea urchins. I think that's what they call them, European culture. We call them kina. And power abalone, and everyone likes in summer to go and get seafood. So it's been a staple. It's been a part of our staple diet here. So yeah, and then I look outside, and there's our original par sites or traditional and sacred places, Rangihoa. We're really lucky. So we uh, live communally and we live together. Sometimes not very well, but we try to do what we can to live harmoniously. In our War Memorial Hall, we have our tribal meetings, one every six months. The last one was in December. And so as a tribe, we gather together so that I can, together with my board, report to our people on progress with our development plans and things that we're looking at doing, making sure that our traditional gathering places are fully functional, making sure that our people are accessing the services that they're entitled to from government and just making sure our elderly are well and our young people are connected with who they are. And so that's something that's coming up. And on Sunday, my mother and her cousin will run a weaving workshop and that will be a two-week workshop. And they're going to be weaving our traditional whāriki or mats. I suppose that's been the lucky thing is because we are quite a way out, when I say out, we're 20 minutes drive from the centre of Gisborne that has its advantages because we're away from development. So as a tribe and as a people, we have managed to keep a lot of our ways. I know it hasn't always been easy for others who are close to metropolitan areas and city areas in New Zealand, but because we're kind of away, we have greater control over things. So that's one of the definite advantages of being away is we can do things how we've always done them because it's really important for our kids to know who they are, where they come from and who they're related to. So whakapapa or genealogy and knowing one's connections, not just to their own immediate family but to their kin is something I know we try to instill in our young people so that they know they can stand with pride in our place here because you can't do that anywhere else. You can only do it in your own patch. You are on the trail less traveled. The trail leads today to a Maori tribe's ancestral meeting place. We are sitting inside the Whare Nui and I'm sitting with Robin Vrauna. She is of the indigenous Maori tribes of Awateaurawa, New Zealand. Robin is a proud indigenous woman of the Naita Manuheri, Rongofakata, and Te Ai Tanga'a Haki. We are sitting in her Whare Nui. 
part of the Marae at Maruwai, outside of Gisborne, New Zealand. This is her tribe's ancestral meeting place. Inside the walls represent all of her ancestors with traditional kofaifai, paintings, raranga, weavings, and fakairu, carving. Robin, it's time for another song. Can you share a song with us that reminds you of moving beyond the bonds of oppression? So my favorite song I always think about is Bob Marley's Redemption Song. And the reason why I refer to this song is because as I grew up and went and studied at university and became more and more exposed to the teachings of others, really enjoyed the writings of Paulo Freire and his book Pedagogy of the Priests. And so Bob Marley's song of Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. That resonates with me because it is a song that inspires hope about moving beyond colonization, moving beyond oppression, to put mind over matter, to inspire action and advancement from yourself just within the mind. You're only held back by yourself. Sometimes when I think there's so much going against us reggae is awesome because it speaks to the hearts and minds of maori and it is i believe why maori is so into reggae is because a lot of his songs you know there's some quite controversial ones you know go more you crazy ball heads that's pretty out there but i like the words of redemption song as a beacon of hope and to really push yourself and it kind of goes with consciousness raising that Paulo Freire always talked about and when he worked in the ghettos of South America and he went there to look at how people who are living in ghettos could take better control over their own futures and that required consciousness raising. It's The Trail Has Traveled with Mandela. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded today on location inside of a Maori Whārenui, which is a tribe's ancestral meeting place. And I'm sitting here inside with Robin Rauna. She is of the indigenous Maori tribes of Awateroa, New Zealand. Robin is a proud indigenous woman of Naita Manuheri, Ronga Fakata, and Te Ai Tanga a Mahaki. We are sitting in her Farinui at Muruwai, outside of Gisborne, New Zealand, her tribe's ancestral meeting place. Inside the walls represent all of her ancestors with traditional kofaifai paintings, raranga weavings, and fakairu carvings. Robin, I'd like to talk about kofaifai, raranga, and fakaru. Kofaifai are the patterns that you see on, they look like ridge poles or the ribs of our whare nui. And we have a number of different patterns. And I look at them and I definitely know they are the artistic impressions of fish that we have a close relationship with. So I see the mako, the shark which is representation of shark. I see the flounder 
and I see the stingray. In every tribe has different patterns, but I know those are particularly are patterns synonymous with our tribe. And then the Fakairo also has, just as you have dialect differences in language, we have those across tribes in art, so uh, carving, weaving, and paintings. It's all tribal-based. There's differences across tribes with those, but for us, raranga is one thing that we're particularly strong on, and carving. So we have a particular carving style that's synonymous here. We've got a really close relationship with the house that was confiscated by the Crown and is now in the National Museum in Wellington, Te Papa. It is the oldest meeting house in the country, Te Turanga, and it was uplifted when all our people were incarcerated without trial and they came here and they uplifted it and they sent it to Wellington and it's in the National Museum. So carving is certainly the most beautiful house around. It was carved with stone tools. They had just adopted chisels. It's a beautiful, beautiful house in Wellington, so it's something you'll have to go and see. And the National Museum of New Zealand is Tahoki Turanga. is something that I pride myself. I think we're the best at it. Uh, others might say they're the best, but I believe we're the best, yeah. Wonderful. Robin, on the way here, when we were driving through the countryside past the Agapantha flowers, I noticed a little tamoko tattoo coming out of your sleeve, and I asked you about it, and you eloquently explained to me the tamoko tattoo process. Can you share with the listeners the Maori tamoko? Mine was done by a wonderful man, Ma Kopua. Actually, the reason we had developed a great respect for each other and different things we were involved in, and my brother and my two sisters were done by my other relation, Derek Lardelli. But with one particular experience, Mark and I got to know each other really well, and then I discovered that it was his great-grandfather, Tame Puata, who um, did the moko in here in Muriwai of a lot of our women and men. And he actually did the moko of my great-great-great-grandfather, which is quite different. It's not highly decorative, but it's just some beautiful korus that stand in isolation on his cheeks. And so when I found that out, that Mark was all this particular whakapapa line, I had asked him to do me. I had a talk to him and I said to him, oh, I chose to do my moko because of key, what I looked at as my personal milestones. So I'd been participating in the tribal treaty claims for my iwi, for my tribe, and I decided that with everything I had learnt, it was, I needed to do something that would recognise what I had learnt and what I wanted to remember. So I went to Ma Kōpua and I said to him that I am of three tribes and so he put on my shoulder my three tribes and then I said to him that there was this historical event that actually set up the strategic alliances of my three tribes because my three tribes have a history of working together and it was brought about because of death of these two twins and these two twins were murdered by their cousin they were the favoured sons of this area of Gisborne 
and they were very good top spinners. They were into fun and really good at spinning tops, the traditional tops, and they used to have races and nobody could beat them. Anyway, their cousin, Tupurupuru, got really jealous and decided he wanted to take them out because he thought these two boys, their reputation was starting to really grow and they were loved by absolutely everybody so he took them out and so this story of the tops and then the traditional kites that were sent up to identify the murderer is on my shoulder and then on my back is a representation of a stingray off Miriwai and the tendrils of the kumara plant or the sweet potato plant is also on my back signifying a Heneha Kirirangi who was Pawa's sister who came off the Harau Tawaka. She brought with her the sweet potato plant from Hawaii which sustained our people when they didn't know, you know, they'd just come to Aotearoa and they didn't know the kai or the food that they could eat. So it was because of her she sailed across on her own little waka looking for a place to have her gardens and she came first to Muriwai and she went further around to Manatuki and had the famous gardens which we refer to as Manawaru and so these are the stories that I put on my body permanently because they're a reminder for Heneha Kirirangi she's a woman I have great admiration for I see her as a role model of a woman who chose despite her brother coming all the way to Hawaii she got her own waka and it was actually because of her why everyone survived because she had the sweet potato and she was such a good gardener she made sure that the people did not die and so that's what I have on my back together with what I refer to as our guardian the fai and also mori mori the shark is on my back and those are things that I'll always have with me not just physically but also to guide me on my journey spiritually and then I'm thinking of the next one. I've often been asked, oh, why don't I take a kawai on the chin? At the moment, still thinking about it. I'm waiting for my mum to take it up before me because I think she should. And who knows in time. It's an absolute privilege to have that. And I'm not sure if I'm deserving of it at the moment, but I never know. But moho is more for me about the relationship you have with the person that does you then it is necessarily about the use of tools that are used to do it. It is more about having a connection and a relationship because it's a absolutely an intimate relationship with somebody because you're absolutely placing your trust in them to do the right thing on your body. Blood is sacred to Māori and so the passing of blood for Māori you got to be careful about and if you don't have that trusted relationship with the person that's doing your moho then it's not a wise thing to do. I have absolute faith in the person that did me. I love him because he's a wonderful man and he's totally gifted and he's got all the attributes for me of a person that should do tāmoko on me. I was reading in the museum that the traditional tāmoko tattooing originally was done by cutting the skin and then putting ash into the cuts. We're sitting here in your ancestors' meeting place, and there is the Fakairu paintings on the walls. Can you tell us about being a walking Fakairu? The thing about now, women and men taking facial moko is just like what we're seeing now in our whareanui and our meeting houses. Is They're the walking manifestations of the ancestors. Women wear them on their chin. Men can get full facial 
moko is no different to being in a meeting house and there are artistic impressions and designs of a people. That's actually what tamoko is. They are the representations of your people. So when I was recounting Heneha Kirirangi and those stories, my choice was I wanted them on me, just like a meeting house or whareinui. They are you and you are them. And you are the ocean and the ocean is you. You've been on the trail less traveled, and we recorded this interview inside of Robin's tribe's ancestral meeting place. It's called a Fare Nui. Robin Rauna is of the indigenous Maori tribes of Awatauroa, New Zealand. Robin is a proud indigenous woman of Naita Manuheri, Rongo Fakata, and Te Aitanga a Mahaki. We are sitting in her Fare Nui at Muruai in Gisborne, New Zealand. Thank you so much, Robin, for the honor of inviting me into your marae and recording this interview here. You're very welcome, and I hope your listeners learn a little bit more about Māori people and hopefully get a much more informed view of who we are and where we're going. And I also just want to say um, I have been watching what's been going on in South Dakota with the people there and the oil pipeline, and I just want to acknowledge and mention of the overwhelming support that we have as Māori for those people, just as we have similar challenges with oil companies doing exploratory investigations in our waters. It's an indigenous fight. This fight is a fight for preserving our natural environment and making sure that our kids can enjoy what we know our ancestors grew up with, clean waters, access to food, seafood, and an enduring relationship with the sea. And so with the people over in the states there that are fighting to preserve their waters and preserve their land, it's an ongoing struggle and I wish them all the very best and I know we have shared dreams and aspirations for our um, environment everywhere we are. Robin, let's end this program with three bits of advice that you'd like to share with the listener. I suppose one thing one should never discount is being a good person. One should always try and be a good person, be generous with your time and a smile, being generous in spirit I think it's a good thing. Sometimes people overlook with the humdrum of busy life. Sometimes turns us into workaholics. And one thing I am constantly reminded of is the need just to be a good person. Second piece of advice is definitely get your affairs in order. And this is something that all my people here hear me talk about constantly as a person legally trained and a lawyer. You know, I'm sometimes asked really serious questions at the most difficult of times. For Māori, it's about where should they be buried? And these are things that Māori are sometimes confronted with, choices over where they will be buried. And I always say to people, although it's very difficult for Māori, I acknowledge that Māori don't always like to talk about death. My view is that in this day and age, it's no different to preparing oneself for natural disasters. Have a plan. So my second piece of advice, make sure you have a written will. You leave instructions as to where you will be buried and what you want to happen with your personal affairs to avoid 
creating unnecessary conflict and confrontation within your family. So have a will and get your enduring power of attorney documents prepared. So that's my second piece of advice. I hope that's not seen as particularly morbid, but I'm just being totally practical and no different, no different to getting your natural disaster kit ready. You should put will and enduring power of an attorney in that checkbox. Third piece of advice is for Māori children that are growing up. Know who you are. Know where you are from. Know the stories of your ancestors and your tipuna. And always look to the past for answers that you're seeking for in the future. And this relates to cultural identity. If we are not strong as people and don't know our place, we're just floating and we are going with the tide. One needs to know who they really are to stand with confidence. So my third piece of advice is if you are a parent, please please make sure your kids know who they are and who they're related to and how they're connected and get them to value the genealogical relationships that they have with everybody because genealogy is not necessarily something that just divides people. It can be a connector. It can make people responsible for their tribal relations beside them and connect across countries, actually. Earlier when I was doing a mihi to the First Nations people, I do think that across the world, Indigenous peoples serve a common denominator. Being the people of the land is our overriding passion for the environment and all the animals and all the living beings in the environment. And that's where I think we connect. I think kids should grow up knowing who they are, who they're connected to, and who they're responsible to, and who they need to love. Beautiful. Robin, what song would you like to end the show with? Well, because I'm in the four walls of my meeting house, we have a saying, so the four corners can hear you, so all of my ancestors can hear me. I hope they don't think that I'm doing them wrong with my singing and recognition of them, because... What I've just told you, if I can't say it to them, I can't really say it to anybody else. But actually, I felt totally comfortable coming here and doing an interview because they would be the judge of what I've done today with you is right or wrong. So in their honour, e hara i te mea no nei te aroha no na tupuna tukuiho tukuiho. Kia ora, Mandela here, your host of the Trail Less Travelled, an adventure series dedicated to documenting humanity by collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the planet. Tonight's interview was recorded in a whare nui, which is a Maori tribe's ancestral meeting place. This particular whare nui is located in Marae, outside of Gisborne, New Zealand. Subscribe to the Trail Less Traveled podcast on iTunes and check out traillesstraveled.net to follow the show as it is recorded on location around the world. I would like to thank my guest for this week, Robin Rauna. Robin is of the indigenous Maori tribes of Aotearoa. The Western name for this place is New Zealand. Robin is a proud indigenous woman of the Naita Manuheri, Rongo Fakata, and Te Itanga a Mahaki. It was one of the greatest honors of my life to be invited into Robin's tribe's Whareinui, the ancestral meeting place. My name is Mandela, your host of the Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for the show is to take you 
the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers and talk to them in their natural habitat. My adventure tip this week is, of course, to wear sunscreen, but to please invest in a good pair of polarized sunglasses to protect your eyes from the sun. To have vision is a gift. Take care of it. That's it for this week, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, please get outside and shred the gnar. Because as you know, the thing about the gnar is, it simply doesn't shred itself.